Airlines Confidential with Ben Baldanza and Chris Chimes is made possible with the support of Pratt & Whitney, whose GTF engines are redefining aviation. Learn more at pwgtf.com. And Seabury Securities, global reach, global scale. SeaburySecurities.com. We also welcome your business's support. Info at AirlinesConfidential.com. It's the end of April, and as the saying goes, the airline industry is roaring in like a lion. I'm Ben Balanza. I want to welcome you to podcast number 133 of Airlines Confidential. And this is Chris Chimes. Let me second that welcome. Lots of chatter from our listeners about last week's guest, Catherine Creedy. We're going to get to that later. But first, we're going to do our weekly news roundup and then have a discussion with Unify, the successor company to Delta Global Services, which is one of the leading aviation grand handling support teams in the U.S. So, Ben, buckle up. First up, Q1 earnings of the big three airlines in the U.S., with Southwest reporting after this week's show that gets published on Wednesday morning, as you know. I characterize the results so far as strong trajectories for a very, very bullish Q2 in summer. But Ben, I'll let you give a deeper dive. What do you think? Yes, Chris, the early returns on this quarter based on the big guys who've reported are all very positive and a lot of positive tones and real aggressive answers to questioning from investors who ask them. We're seeing, you know, operating profits from a number of the big guys, which is terrific. We're also seeing schedules out in June and July where there is more capacity than in the same time period, 2019. Nothing better to say that we're recovered, if not recovering from the pandemic, given that, that the industry's actually putting out more seats than before the pandemic. And the real big issue facing the summer, I think, is going to be how well can the industry operate, given sort of weather and staffing and things like that. But from a demand standpoint, everything we've heard from American, United, and Delta have been extremely positive. I thought it was really interesting that American and Robert Isom in his first earnings call, they really leaned into that operational issue that you just raised, that they talked about the strong operation they ran in Q1. I think that's been this overhang that American has dealt with for quite a long time. And there was a lot of criticism of you know Isom's leadership and his ability to run a good airline. And so I think it, it was uh, important for them to stress that. You still have these pockets where, you know, I think I saw Alaska again and maybe JetBlue, I'll stand corrected, but there's still some carriers pulling back on capacity early in the summer because of staffing concerns. So again, we can get into that more with the Unify folks in a bit, but I, I think that's going to be the unknown quantity that we're going to have to deal with over the next few months, or not we, but the industry is going to have to deal with, with regard to their ability to deliver on this increased capacity. That's right, Chris. And you know, around the industry, around the world, not just in the U.S., you tend to see most airline CEOs come out of either the marketing organizations or the finance organizations. Those are the stronger backgrounds that you tend to see in most 
CEOs. Robert Isom has spent a big part of his career in operations. Now, he started early in his career in finance, so it's not like he's only been an ops guy his whole life. But, you know, he has said, I think of myself as an ops guy. He's used that phrase. So I think for American to focus on that in their earnings is probably Robert's sweet spot and the thing he wants to be able to talk about because it's probably the thing he feels most comfortable about in terms of understanding the issues well. Whether or not he can lead all of American and all of that means is still yet to be seen, but obviously he was the handpicked successor to Doug Parker, and so I assume Doug and that board know what they're doing there. And then, Ben, another issue that plopped out in between our taping last week and the show going live, the transportation mask mandate, it seemed like such an unceremonious end with a court decision coming out of Florida and then the mandate getting dropped within hours. We've talked about this subject many times over the past year. Your thoughts on this moving forward? Well, I was surprised when the judge said, you know, look, it's gone because it's you know, for whatever reason, not constitutional or whatever it was. Now that's being appealed. So we'll have to see whether it comes back. I can't imagine that to most of the country, it would be a popular thing to bring that mandate back. Now I did fly this week, Chris, and I flew the day after the mass mandate officially went away. I just took a quick trip from Washington up to Boston And on my round trip, I would estimate that 60 to 70% of the customers I saw in the airport and on the airplane still wore their mask. And maybe it's just a newness thing, or maybe it's some people are saying, I realize I don't have to, but I still want to. On both of my flights, the flight attendants reminded people masks are not required on this flight. So you're welcome to take it off. You're also welcome to wear one if that makes you more comfortable. That was sort of the messaging that was on each flight. So it's not like people didn't know they could remove their masks, but a lot of them still didn't. I'm wondering if a month from now, two months from now, six months from now, we'll see fewer and fewer people wearing the masks on board. I think if the appeals court reverses that and the federal mandate comes back in place, I think that's not going to be good for airlines or customers because it just adds to the enormous confusion about what's going on. If it's safer to have masks, then we should have just kept the masks. We shouldn't have got rid of them and then put them back on. But with the summer, the industry is looking like it's going to have and where we are, I think the president's message of everyone has to make a smart choice for themselves is a really strong message and a good message and one that hopefully the industry can follow. So my hopes, at least, Chris, is that the mask mandate stays gone. But like I saw this week, there are still people who, you know, decide that that's what they want to do. Personally, I wore a mask on both the flights. I just felt more comfortable. I don't know if Six months from now, that'll be true for me either. Yeah, I've flown this week as well. I'm As we're taping, I'm up in New York. It was interesting on the flight from DFW to New York. I think probably 75% of the people didn't have masks on. It's Texas. I get that. It'll be interesting on the way back. What are New Yorkers 
doing uh, with the mask thing. You're right. You're walking around town. You're on the subway here in New York. Everyone's still wearing a mask because it's required. I, I was a little disappointed that a couple of the carriers so quickly welcomed back the passengers who had been banned for refusal to wear masks because this isn't over. And like you, I hope the mask mandate doesn't come back. I hope it's a choice people can make on their own. But whether it's another version of COVID or some other issue in the future, airlines are going to need people to comply with whatever the public health requirements might be. And, you know, we've had other pandemic kinds of threats before that never got to the situation of COVID. But if people aren't going to follow the rules, then you need to think twice about letting them on board is my point of view. But again, that's what carriers choose to do. They want to get people back on board, but there's not a lack of demand. There's plenty of people wanting to fly. So they just seemed very quick to embrace people who had been giving them trouble and giving their crews trouble for months and months. You know, that's an interesting comment, Chris. And while I agree with the sentiment, I wasn't as surprised that they did that. Let me tell you why. People were banned from airlines over the last year and a half for basically two reasons. One was they just didn't comply with the mask mandate. Another was they created a disturbance and got violent on board, right? And I realized that in some cases, one leaked over into the other of those two things. But I would not be a fan of the airlines bringing back quickly anyone who disrupted a flight, caused a flight to be diverted, hit a flight attendant, injured another passenger, things like that. For the passengers who just didn't want to wear their mask and were kicked off the plane or refused, I agree, we need them to be compliant. But for the industry to not let them back, it would have been a hard thing, I think, for them to explain why they didn't when at the time they were putting people on, they said, you can't fly until the mask mandate is gone. That's what most of them said. So I, th I think they might have had a legal problem. I'm not sure there would have been any legal action by any individual who wanted to take that. But if they didn't bring the people who were banned just because of the mask compliance issue back quickly, because the rule kind of was, or what they were kind of told was, you can't fly until you don't need a mask again. Yeah, that's fair. And let me clarify too. It's very reasonable that these passengers were going to be welcomed back. I just didn't think it needed to be within the first 24 to 48 hours. <laughs> uh, it just it just seemed a little knee-jerk versus like letting the process kind of fold out uh, nicely with regard to getting people comfortable and then being able to choose whether they want to wear a mask or not and getting the crew comfortable. All the crew of the flights I the flight I was on, none of them had a mask on. Again, that's their choice. But you gotta you gotta let let the process flow. And I just wasn't sure like that needed to be the first thing that needed to be said about the mask mandate's gone and everybody can come back. So. Yeah, one more thing, Chris. I actually talked to the flight attendants on both the flights I took and just asked them, what do you think about the mask mandate being gone? And universally, among the six people I spoke with, right, it just wasn't a random sample of flight attendants. It was the three on each flight I took. Universally, they all said they were very happy it went away. And one of them used language that I thought probably 
a lot of flight attendants would probably agree with. They said without the mask mandate, it just lowers the volume in the cabin. That was the language that the one flight attendant used. And that made sense to me. And so it didn't totally surprise me. Now, of the ones I talked to, three of them wore masks and three didn't, but they all said they were happy the mask mandate was gone. Yeah, no, I can imagine every flight attendant is sick of being the mask police. So that's going to make their job easier. Well, this week's show is brought to you by Pratt & Whitney, a world leader in aircraft engines, helicopter engines, and auxiliary power units. The Pratt & Whitney GTF engine is delivering industry-leading sustainability, mature dispatch reliability, and world-class operating costs. Now with the GTF Advantage engine for the Airbus 320neo family, the best is getting even better. Learn more at pwgtf.com slash advantage. And also a big thanks to Seabury Securities, a Seabury Capital Group company and a specialty finance and investment banking firm boasting a 25-year track record of advising aviation clients around the world. Their award-winning and widely respected team has superior industry knowledge as well as an unmatched depth of relationships with decision makers in industry, finance, and government. Explore their global reach and scale at SeaburySecurities.com. Finally, Ben, a little check in on U.S. startups Avello and Breeze. Both are subject of labor organizing right now. The AFA won a vote to represent flight attendants at Avello by a vote of eight to six. I'm not sure that's a mandate. And Alpa has filed to represent Breeze's 69 pilots. There had previously been a little skirmish between Breeze and the pilots as they were looking to recruit pilots from Australia, citing pilot shortages here in the U.S. Uh, We should ask Catherine Creedy about that one. Uh, (laughs) Meanwhile, Breeze announced big plans for Westchester Airport north of New York City as David Nealman looks to go head-to-head with his former airline, JetBlue. Very interesting here, Chris. I was really surprised at both of these actions. I think it shows the aggressiveness of the unionization efforts in the industry. And rather than sort of let these carriers get, you know, big and having plenty of pilots and plenty of flight attendants, it just really surprises me how quickly the unionization effort of the flight attendants at Avello happened and for the pilots at Breeze, what's going on. Makes sense by both of the unions. These are carriers who both have promise and likely someday will be a lot bigger than they are today. So it it doesn't surprise me that they would want to unionize these groups. Now, I'm just surprised how quickly it happened with both of these airlines. Interesting, too, that um, Breeze is going into Westchester. You're right, JetBlue flies there. But it also is a little bit of a an attack on Avello, too, with their New Haven expansion. Not exactly the same, but close enough geography to suggest that he was thinking about that when he added that city, too. Yeah, it's certainly easier to win a 14-person vote than a 1,400-person vote. So as you talked about, AFA and ALPA both moving in quickly to try to not let the anti-union, we-don't-need-a-union sentiment take hold. So I think both of these matters are going to get some regulatory scrutiny as well, because again, an eight to six vote of a workforce, it is a democratic vote, but um, there's some questions about how relevant 
that outcome is when there's certainly more than 14 flight attendants at, uh, <laughs> at that carrier. So, I guess if you take a statistics class, you know there's that minimum size you have to be to be valid, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, more Airlines Confidential coming up in just a moment. Promotional support for Airlines Confidential comes from thearchive.net, the hub of the history of commercial aviation with vintage timetables, route maps, brochures, historic flights, terminals, airplane cabins, virtual tours of airline maintenance and training facilities, models, safety cards, and menus, plus special flights and events. Thearchive.net is now boarding. Welcome back to Airlines Confidential. We're pleased to welcome this week's guest. Gotham Thacker is the CEO of Unify Services, uh, one of the major ground handling companies supporting U.S. airlines. Gotham, uh, welcome to Airlines Confidential. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Ben. We always start these conversations off by letting our guests give a quick self-introduction. So tell us about the company and your role and your history in aviation. Ben and Chris, thanks for having me. I come from a very different background. I joined uh, in January of 2021. Some say it was a great time to join the aviation business. A lot of the experience that I bring is across uh, multiple industries. I've run large corporations, you know, technology-enabled businesses, shared services, outsourcing. I've done a lot of uh, business process and growth and development in, in, in some of these industries. And uh, clearly my experience uh, straddles with the aviation to the extent that I've handled and, and managed large workforce and really found unique and interesting ways to, you know, sort of attract them and retain them. And, you know, what we do from a business standpoint is very much geared towards, uh, you know, uh, finding a way to attract and then retain uh, the labor forces as the case might be. So that's really my background. So Unify as a company is one of the largest, uh, if not the largest ground handling company in North America. We've got more than 20,000 employees. You know, a lot of the work that we do is, uh, you know, above wing and below wing, uh, including, you know, stuff like wheelchair, janitorial, cabin cleaning, the ramp work, including full ground handling in a lot of the stations. We've got about close to 200 stations uh, within North America. And effectively, you know, we are essentially come out from what used to be the erstwhile uh, Delta Global Services. So we rebranded ourselves last year to become unified. Delta is a minority owner, uh, but this group is owned by Argenbright, which has the Argenbright Group, which has had, you know, multiple decades of uh, aviation businesses and the businesses that we run. So that's really a quick background on uh, me and, uh, uh, you know, the company that I uh, work for. So that just hopes that's give you some perspective. Well, that's great, Gotham, and 15 months late, but congratulations on taking on this really important role. Thank you. Thank you. It's a fun industry and fun times. Yeah, that's right. Well, within the airline business, contracting out services sometimes is associated with negative connotations of, you know, are the employees really focused on the customers the way the airline wants, or is it only a labor arbitrage or something? How have you been able to overcome that with your customers and their customers, sure. the passengers themselves? Right. I mean, I think, uh, you know, the way to think about uh, not only I think this business, again, from my experience, is that, you know, we see ourselves in, as an extension of our customers' organizations. So we effectively represent the airlines and what we do uh, day in, day out. And obviously, you know, we are building our own culture as we go along. So I understand the negative connotation that goes with outsourcing. But when we start considering ourselves as an extension, you know, that's how we pretty much are, uh, you know, working with our clients and their end customers. And obviously, a lot of the training that gets imparted to our employees 
is the training which is you know supported by the respective airlines in many of the you know in many of the stations where i think i mentioned to you that you know we do full ground handling which is really everybody that you see when you walk into the airport till the time you board is a unify employee they end up wearing the airline colors uh, you know as i mentioned they've been trained uh, you know by our clients and the whole concept and the notion of you know outsourcing and contracting and out to uh, you know to to third parties like us is because we are building expertise and we are investing heavily on uh, the front end of it which is typically not necessarily you know in the radar of a lot of the uh, the airlines so what we do for instance building center of excellences around how we manage the wheelchair business or how we manage cabin cleaning or how we are sort of you know looking at customer services obviously takes a different uh, meaning altogether you know what seems to be uh, you know sometimes uh, essential for the airlines to support is our core business so all our employees are obviously geared towards that and uh, i think that in particular has not never really been a cause of concern clearly you know we align with what our customers expectations and their customers expectations are and and obviously a lot of the training that we do uh, pretty much, you know, lines up uh, squarely with what, uh, you know, our, our customers are, are, are expecting and their customers are expecting. Well, Gotham, as you pointed out, uh, timing is sometimes everything. You joined 15 months ago, right in the midst of the, uh, the very tight labor market and the ramp up in airline travel uh, post-pandemic or post-recovery in the pandemic. How have you been able to weather the the disruptive job market so many other employers have experienced these past two years? Look, I mean, I think it's it's, it's no secret that this is, uh, you know, the topic of uh, every conversation that uh, I've been involved with, with uh, uh, all our customers. And, and of course, you know, this is not just the aviation business. I think it's, it's, it's pretty much across the board. I think it's been discussed in every boardroom. Um, and absolutely, it's, it's fair to say that, like, you know, we had some very challenging times last year as we were getting out of the pandemic and, you know, going through the summer and the flight uh, uptake. And then, of course, when we thought that we were we had seen the back of it, then we hit the, the Omicron variant. And of course, uh, you know, the, the Christmas and, and early part of January was what we were dealing with at that point in time. So it's it's safe to say that, you know, it's it's been a tough couple of couple of years. I mean, you know, uh, as the volumes have started coming back. I think one thing is very clear as we are starting to uh, see the uptick in demand and, and very clearly, you know, uh, it's going to start, it's only going to go up, is that a lot of the workers are actually expecting uh, flexibility. Sometimes it's not very easy to sort of, uh, you know, give that level of flexibility. I mean, as you probably well know that, you know, in, 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 in the airline world, there is, uh, you know, you, you can't determine uh, when flights come in and go. There are the AM pushes and the PM pushes that you need to sort of align around. But we have been trying to make sure that we are allowing for that flexibility. Now, with that flexibility, obviously, it means that, you know, we need to have more uh, people in the market, more people on the roster to come in and, and, and work those flexible hours. So I think that's one of the things that we are working on to ensure that, you know, given the changing dynamics of what we are seeing uh, in the workforce in general, clearly, we want to make sure that we are in a position where we can you know try and offer some level of flexibility. The other thing is, obviously, uh, you know, we are being very proactive and, and aggressively you know, sort of working with our customers in terms of uh, ensuring that, you know, they have full visibility in terms of how we're doing with staffing coming into the summer season. So, for, in- for instance, uh, you know, we run all our summer plans in terms of how we're being proactive and in some cases reactive in certain markets so that we're on top of it, so that we are able to manage 
and partner with the airlines so they have full visibility and being the largest of course has its benefits but you know clearly we want to make sure that we are supporting our customers uh, you know in in some of those tough markets where the labor force is perhaps coming back slower than what we would like we're communicating extensively you know with the workforce we are providing them incentives and schemes and figuring out ways to retain talent you know the idea is you know this is a you know as you probably know this is a very intent labor intensive uh, industry we want to make sure that we are able to provide a seamless experience when somebody is considering to join unify and after they join we want to make sure that their experience is also you know sort of uh, great when they're actually here so for us you know trying to attract the talent and making sure that they're staying back and and you know giving us uh, the time and you know investing in them is one of the ways that we are trying to sort of mitigate through some of this now this is not to say that we won't have our set of challenges because you know we're all going after the same uh, labor force which some from whatever i've read i believe is shrinking a little bit so trying to attract talent in the shrinking workforce giving them flexibility will certainly you know be in a position to you know sort of handle this coming summer better than i think what has been uh, the last summer as the case might be well that's a great lead in to the next question which is you only have to listen to the most recent airline earnings and likely the ones coming up to know that this summer is expecting to be chock-a-block full for the airlines and yet you have some airlines cutting back their service because they want to make sure that they can actually meet the service requirements do you feel that unify can fully support your airline customers this summer with your own staffing i think like i mentioned i think there will be some markets that we will you know obviously be challenged and we are giving visibility to our customers uh, you know to make sure that they are aware of how we are working towards that's that staffing it it would not be prudent to say that we will have 100% uh, you know uh, there are no guarantees obviously in terms of what we are doing but we feel a little better or i feel a little better uh, you know from where we were last summer in terms of how we are looking at the market and how you know the how we are reacting to some of these specific markets where we may have had challenges in the past you know that the truth is that you know obviously being an extension of our customers uh, operations is important but as you rightly pointed out i think you know uh, we've seen obviously changes uh, two schedules uh, you know which i think some airlines are publicly talking about and others have shared with us in terms of how it might be going up so we are making sure that we are staying lockstep with our airline partners to ensure that we have uh, you know uh, to the extent possible no disruption so that at least there is enough visibility and proactiveness in terms of uh, managing through the summer as the case might be so far you know i think we feel uh, confident with the level of communication that we have clearly it's going to be an interesting summer with the flight volumes you know taking up i've i've also been sort of you know watching the results closely and how they're seeing uh, you know just an increase in in flight volume and passenger volume over the next 3 uh, to 4 months so we we feel uh, good so far but again you know we just need to make sure that uh, we're staying ahead in some of the markets to uh, ensure that we don't necessarily run into a problem where we are horribly short staffed as the case might be We're talking to Gotham Thacker from Unified Services about their ground handling support for North American Airlines. Uh, Gotham, you talked about the need to give workers flexibility as you're competing in this labor market. I'm guessing that wage rates have also escalated like they have everywhere. Without naming the names of customers, has it been a hard sell anywhere to 
get your clients to agree to higher wage rates or are they pretty much on board? You know, I think in, in, in general, and I, I, I think we are, we're very fortunate that in if most, if not all cases, we've always had a pretty reasonable uh, discussion with the clients. And in many cases, we have weekly calls with them where we share information of what's happening, you know, market by market. Uh, so if there are certain stations that we feel that there is pressure for, you know, to get people because just the unemployment level is is very low or for that matter, if people are not necessarily coming back at a, at a particular wage pre-pandemic levels, we've been very lucky and fortunate that all the airlines recognize this and clearly they're seeing some pressure on their side as well. So it's not, it doesn't become a hard sell uh, to your point. Uh, as long as obviously, you know, we are able to have a good and meaningful, honest conversation around data. So we have a team that actually does the wage analysis station by station, and we are able to provide this feedback to the customers. And uh, I've actually been quite surprised by the pace at which we have had uh, support from all airlines, without exception, to sort of, you know, come in and, and sort of stand up and, and support us as the case might be. You know, it's not always wage. I mean, you know, wage does become one of the key sort of, you know, indicators of whether, uh, you know, whether whether we are getting staffed up or not. You know, it does, some of the onus is on us. You know, for instance, how do you ensure that there is the right kind of uh, experience that the employee has? So uh, does, do these employees have the right kind of training, the right kind of leadership and so on and so forth, which in many ways sort of helps at least from my perspective, ensures that, you know, the people who are coming in, we are able to logically keep them for a, for a longer period of time. So I think it's, you know, it, it, it's a combination of both. So the airlines being, uh, I think, more than generous in this industry, in this environment to support us. Uh, but also, you know, from our perspective, the onus is to make sure that the people who come in, we are doing, you know, making sure that we are trying to make sure that they're, they're staying around for a longer period of time than they normally do. Well, you know, when we think of careers in the airline business, you quickly think about pilots, flight attendants, mechanics, things like that. Some of the roles you're filling are often thought of as maybe entry level roles or shorter term jobs. Do many of your workforce employees have more than five years with Unify? And are you successful in sort of creating a career path for Unify employees? So uh, l let me answer the career path question first, because I think it's a very valid uh, question. I mean, you know, I, I, and, and what we talk internally with the teams is that, and, you know, certainly when I speak to the frontline employees, especially people who are considering joining us, you know, we are offering them, you know, there's a somebody joined us for a job or somebody joins us for a career. And at least given the nature of the role, and, you know, like I said, we, are, we do full ground handling. So there are enough opportunities in a station, in a hub for our employees to actually have a potential from making 12, 13 bucks as an example to maybe 20, 25 bucks over a period of time. So we clearly point to them about the fact that they can actually create a career here. They can build the kind of skill sets that are required so that they can be gainfully employed uh, given the experience that we are, you know, we are providing to them. So that's really the way that we are trying to position it with our employees. There are a substantial number of employees who eventually use us. And in some cases, we actually partner with the airlines as well, where we tell, you know, where, you know, in some cases they tell us that, you know, we we're working with a particular airline. So you have an opportunity to work with that particular airline, provided you spend a couple of years with Unify. So we become uh, in many ways, 
uh, you know, a ground where people can actually learn, uh, you know, the ground handling business and the aviation services business before graduating to, let's say, an airline job. You know, that could be uh, in any of the airlines that we are, we are providing services for. So I think there's a great opportunity for us as ground handlers. Uh, look, there are always going to be people who would want to use us as a stepping stone. So we're just trying to make sure that, you know, those who are, we are giving them and we're working with the airlines to make sure that there is a right platform and a way that they're able to actually move uh, from our organization to the airlines as the case might be. Now, to the other question related to, you know, I mean, it's not all about wages, right? I think being with, uh, you know, being what used to be Delta Global Services is now uh, Unify. A lot of the people who actually come to us also, you know, they enjoy flight benefits. And I think that's a huge attraction for us, right? So if you think about anybody in the organization uh, has the ability to sort of obviously use those flight benefits for themselves, for their families to do what they need to and, and, and travel as the case might be. So I think that becomes a huge attraction for us. So we have appropriate ways of attracting and, you know, sort of making sure the people are coming in and then eventually giving them the platform to learn and build a career move within Unify as the case might be. And there are several examples that we've done that. And obviously, if they want to choose to move to an airline, uh, you know, we'd be more than happy to support them because I think eventually both benefit, right? We become the staging ground for airlines to sort of, you know, eventually pick the talent from. Of course, it has to be a little more structured, I guess, you know, that, that's that's obviously the case. So we feel uh, good about the fact that, you know, our employees are joining us and then have the opportunity, given what experience we are giving to them to uh, to move out. You asked about, uh, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you know, uh, what what is the tenure? Did I get that right, Ben? Was that your question? Yes. I, um, you know, how many people that you employ stay with the company maybe more than five years? So we typically don't share the number, but it's safe to say that, you know, it's more than about 40% of them are, you know, more than a year. And obviously, like, you know, that's that's increasing every year as we are starting to sort of, you know, improve their employee experience. So we do end up with a high percentage of employees. And my question to tenured employees almost always is, you know, you've been with us for two years, for five years, some of them, you know, when I'm, they've been here for 15, 16 years with us. And, and I think it's just the environment that we are able to create, their ability to sort of stay committed to what they're doing. And obviously the learning part of it, which I think, you know, helps. I've, I've seen people who've been ramp handlers who actually, you know, moved up to be station managers and regional managers. So I think they are good examples of us, of, of people who worked uh, in Unify, who were able to sort of, you know, progress their careers and stick around with us longer. Now, clearly last year has been, you know, with, with what has happened with the pandemic and the year of 2020 and then the recovery. I think clearly we want to make sure that, you know, the environment has changed, you know, people's expectations have changed. So from our perspective, we are eagerly trying to adjust all our uh, employee experiences and make sure that it's as frictionless and seamless as possible so that they stay with us longer. So Gotham, you've laid out a nice value proposition to potential employees about why they should come to work for Unify. What's your elevator pitch to airline customers, why they should do business with you all? Well, I mean, I think if you think about it, and there are two or three things that we talk about a lot. I mean, you know, if you we've got, you know, if I keep the culture and the value system aside, which we are very, very passionate about in, in you know, sort of espousing that to uh, our employees. But we are, from a North American standpoint, I think I mentioned scale matters. We are the largest. So in many ways, it helps, you know, in we are operate, already operating in 200 different markets. So it gives you know, the ability to sort of, you know, leverage a lot of our 20,000 staff, uh, you know, across all these markets. So that ability to set up something very, very quickly is is, is certainly uh, useful from that standpoint. 
you know, we come from a very deep, deep airline heritage, uh, as I just described to you. I mean, you know, leave aside the fact that, you know, DGS has been doing this for a while and we've just rebranded to Unify over the last couple of years. The Admin Bright group is seeped in aviation knowledge. I think that sort of, you know, makes uh, a huge, huge uh, sort of, you know, selling point because they know that we understand the airline business like nobody else. I think just the diversity that we are sort of, you know, encouraging internally right from the leadership level all the way down, you know, uh, across the board is is something that, you know, we're very proud of and we want to make sure that we're very inclusive and getting people. I think I'm a good example, right? I don't come from this airline business. So in many ways, I, I tend to, you know, challenge some things which have been very traditional. Now, if somebody tells me that there's a playbook that was invented, that's the playbook that we need to follow. That playbook probably went out of the window, you know, come pandemic time and the recovery time. So I think here's an opportunity for us. And certainly, you know, if you see in the leadership team that we are building uh, is, is certainly a diverse group of people with different thoughts, just intent on ensuring that the experience that our employees get is dramatically different and than what they've been used to. Good employees, happy employees lead to happy you know, customers and eventually the end customers. That's the way we think about it. Well, Gotham, as we wrap up, I want to get your thoughts on one more thing. You know, the industry today in the U.S. is more diverse than it's ever been in terms of business models, too. So I imagine, you know, you can imagine an airline like a Delta or American that may in its ground handler require that you treat premium customers a certain way, maybe a shorter line or less, you know, aggravation or something, right? And yet an ultra low cost carrier might say, we do a lot of transactions at the airport. So we want to make sure that your people are compliant with our rules on baggage collection and things like that. How do you position Unify to be able to solve the problems that an airline's business model requires of its ground handler? You know, I think, Ben, the the simple way to answer this is that when we impart the knowledge to our frontline employees, we don't want them to create a distinction. I think that's that's the ground rule. It's very easy to say that a customer is paying you X versus Y, so you can only give you know, X service versus Y service. I, I don't, I genuinely don't believe that that exists because it's hard to explain to them, you know, what that really means. I mean, there are the broader service level agreements that we typically have with our carriers in terms of whether it's uh, missing bags or whether it's, you know, revenue from a full, serve, you know, where we're doing full ground handling, you know, upselling some tickets and so on and so forth. I think our, our job is to not confuse the employees and make sure that they get the best possible services, uh, you know, regardless. Now, of course, that comes at a price and that comes at a cost. I understand that. But for us to be able to communicate clearly and without any ambiguity to our employees, we just tell them that you need to deliver the best services all the time. How we manage the SLAs from the back end of it is something that, you know, we deal with uh, contractually with our customers on a daily basis. But for our employees, uh, we don't want them to create a tier system. Now, it could be that as per the contract in the example that you stated that, you know, some premium customers need to be treated in a particular way that gets sort of resolved at the point of contact where we tell them that, you know, these are the first class passengers. I'm just giving an example. Here is the kind of, you know, handholding that you need to do. Right. Doesn't mean that they can treat the other passengers any different because, you know, in this day and age, you you, you know, yes, of course, they need to get the time and attention, uh, which is slightly different. But from the from the way that we are communicating, we just need to make sure that all our 
employees and are are are, are treating you know the, the the airlines customers pretty much the same way and where we need to create the distinction we point them out i mean there is a base level of service which is independent of the price because we just need to make sure that all our customers are happy and, and ecstatic because you know I, I think that's what we really thrive on i don't know if that answers the question ben that's a great answer absolutely well, look, Gotham, we really appreciate you coming on the show, telling us about Unify. It's an exciting development from Delta Global Services, which in and of itself had a great reputation. And it's very exciting that you're in this business and that you're ready for what we hope will be a bigger summer 2022 than we had in 2019. Yes, indeed. I, I look forward to that. And, you know, it's great to see everybody coming back and, uh, you know, just sort of, you know, getting onto the plane. And it's just really exciting to see the traffic coming back. Well, thanks again, Gotham. This has been a great conversation. I'm sure our listeners will enjoy it. And uh, we look forward to hearing more about uh, your success at Unify. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Ben. I appreciate your time. We'll be right back with more Airlines Confidential. Cloud, Pandora, Spotify, TuneIn, and many more. Use your favorite podcasting app with just one click at airlinesconfidential.com. Welcome back to Airlines Confidential. Now it's time for listener questions. Please email your questions at questions at airlinesconfidential.com or visit our website at airlinesconfidential.com and follow the prompts. We're available on all the major podcast platforms and you can ask Amazon Alexa or Google Assist to turn us on. Just say, play the Airlines Confidential podcast. Okay, Ben, as we discussed at the top of the show, there was some interesting listener reaction to our discussion with Catherine Creedy last week. A lot of it from pilots, and I think we predicted that there would be some strong reaction. We can't read the email comments verbatim. We'd be here for another hour or two. But at a high level, let me summarize some of the sentiment. Ron from New Jersey simply said she was the worst guest ever, and he turned it off. Scott from New Hampshire said Catherine made him bristle. More specifically, he added that he can't believe she has some of the ideas she has about pilot training. And she kept talking about the need for change, but how? I know she says she can't wait for the feedback and she has an open mind. However, our respective starting points are so far apart, I cannot see coming to any understanding with your guest. Mike from Grapevine noted that Catherine has a long history of being argumentative with pilots, but he appreciated her comments about the need for more diversity in the cockpit. And Sean from Canada also observed that Catherine's comments struck a nerve, but there were some valid points in her observations about training and the struggles that operators who try to do things on the cheap are going to continue to face with pilot recruitment and retention. Ben, your reaction. Well, I think this is a fair grouping of the kind of feedback that we got, Chris. There were people who sort of appreciated her directness and were surprised at some of the things she said. There were others who just thought she was off base with some of the ideas. But, you know, Chris, we've brought a number of guests on this show, and we're going to hopefully bring a lot more. And one of the reasons I think people come on the show is we let them tell their story in the way they want to tell it. 
And in that sense, we're kind of a friendly room for an interview in a sense. And that means sometimes people are going to say things that even you and I don't agree with or our guests don't agree with. But it's a big industry and there's room for lots of opinions. Catherine certainly has hers. And I think clearly the comments she made around diversity in the cockpit and the real challenge of that the industry needs more pilots than they're training right now is a real concern, whether you like her possible solutions to fix that aside, I think the issues she brought up were spot on. Yeah, I agree. I mean, as we're booking these guests, we ask them just that. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? We don't suggest it's an interview. We're not going to grill people. We're not going to just let them say silly things, but we're going to let them have some oxygen to say what they want to say. We do often share an outline of the discussion because, again, some of these folks don't do a lot of interviews or they certainly don't give uh, the media access to 35, 40 minutes like they do to us. So we kind of lay out the scope of the conversation and also ask what they might want to talk about. A couple of people wrote in and said it seemed somewhat rehearsed. It sounded like she was talking off talking points. And again, some of our guests might do that. We don't know how they prepare. We want it to be a conversation, but it may not always sound like that. Ultimately, our, our goal, like you pointed out, is to bring a diverse set of points of view to the table, keep the conversation going. I think the podcast has gotten a lot more popular and interesting with guests, and we hope no one turns off a guest. That's certainly their right. If you're not interested, your time is valuable, and you can click off and hopefully come back again next week. But ultimately, it's meant to be a forum for different points of view and different ideas about the aviation industry. Well, that's right, Chris. And with that, I really thank Catherine for coming on and stating the views that she really believed. So Chris, our listener, William from Denver, wrote in with this note. Hi, Ben and Chris. I'm currently applying for an in-flight experience summer internship at Frontier Airlines. I had a phone call with a recruiter that went pretty well. Is there anything you guys would recommend I do to stand out as an applicant or any other advice you would give? Thanks, and I love the show. Hey, William. I mentor a lot of college kids, so your question is appropriate. Well, first, I hope you told them that you hope that Frontier merges with Spirit and not JetBlue uh, during the interview. Um, Obviously, sending a follow-up thank you for anyone uh, in the job market. That's an important thing that I think is getting lost sometimes. Even a quick email is good. But paying attention, for example, their upcoming earnings call, I hope you're going to listen to that. I hope you're going to be really smart about not just the opportunity, but the company. And especially for those of you seeking jobs across the industry, pay attention to the specifics of airline X versus airline Y, and make sure your conversation and your interview isn't a generic conversation, but more relevant to the carrier that you're talking to. So that would be my top line advice. Also, let the process play out. You want to show that you're interested, but you don't want to bother the recruiter in an aggressive way. Sometimes, again, candidates think that that's really useful to show how much they want the job. But the process has to play out, and there's a lot going on behind the scenes in a recruiting role. So you always run that risk of becoming a nuisance if you get too aggressive. 
That's all great advice, Chris. I would add two things to what you said. There are some of the students in my George Mason class who are applying for summer internships at airlines, and I've given them the advice you said, plus these two things. One is in addition to listening to the earnings calls, Every one of these airlines has an investor relations site as well. If you go to their website and you usually scroll to the bottom or maybe at the top, it says investors, and you can click on that. That goes to another site that's required that public companies operate. And on that site, you can see recent presentations they've given. So you can click on the presentation and probably see a set of PowerPoint slides that their CEO or CFO gave in the last few months. And that's another way to get really current on the airline you're interviewing for, because in those presentations, they talk about their plans, they talk about what they think is important and things like that. So if you show you know that and have the mindset to go do that, that will help you stand out. The last thing is just a really generic comment. There was someone I worked in with the industry uh, who used to say, if you're not early, you're late. And I thought that was a funny kind of statement. But any meetings or any interviews you have, if the Zoom's at 11, log on at 1055. All right, just never be the one who's late. You should always be the one waiting for your interviewer, not the other way around. Yep, I like that one too. Well, Chris, we've got a finer wine from Steve in Missouri. It's not about an airline complaint, but he asked us to give our point of view. Hi, guys. I love your show and listen each week. First of all, this isn't an airline issue, but I would really like your take on the situation. I made a reservation on March 30th using points at a hotel in New York, the Hotel Indigo in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, for a stay in early May. I received reservation confirmation numbers for both of the rooms I booked. This morning, I received an email notification that my reservation had been canceled. They stated that the hotel was closing due to COVID and would reopen in June. I called the IHG Guest Relations because their published policy states that, quote, if for any reason your reservation cannot be honored, IHG will provide you with a room and transportation to another convenient and comparable hotel and will pay for the full cost of the first night's lodging price plus tax. Any advance deposit will be refunded to you. The phone agent I talked to and her supervisor, when I asked this to be escalated, stated that my reservations didn't meet the qualifications of this policy. I can't find anywhere in their published TNCs that they refused to provide it to me in writing. I also clarified that this policy is separate from their walking policy, and they confirmed that they are two separate policies. To their credit, they did credit my points back to my account quicker than expected, but they refused to comply with their published policies. I filed a complaint with the Better Business Bureau. Other than that, is there really any other way to handle this type of situation, or am I just out of luck? The airlines have very specific terms of carriage, and I have yet to have an airline inform me that their definition is different from what is stated. Just have never had this issue with a hotel before. I'd like a finer wine ruling from Chris. Well, Steve, the reason we took this, like you said, it's not an airline complaint, but I think it also underscores 
the relative transparency of airline policies versus other travel sectors, for example. I spent an hour on the IHG website trying to figure this out and prep for this response. I couldn't book this hotel, but it didn't say it was closed for COVID. It just kept saying there's no rooms available. So ding number one, as far as being transparent, if in fact the hotel is closed and that's what they told you because your room was canceled, I'm not sure why it doesn't say that on the website. It was just a very vague, no room available. Uh, And that was for multiple dates. Again, I'm not a fan of, frankly, IHG's customer service um, call center. It's You could tell it's offshore. There's nothing wrong with that. But the minute you dial, you hear that kind of click so that you're dialing Mars and it's far away. And <laughs> it's a bad connection. And then the team there is trained basically to make sure that they can communicate directly with the guests. So they just repeat everything you say. You never get anything beyond. So... So I understand, Mr. Baldenza, you want to stay at the, you know, New York Holiday Inn or something. Like, yes, that's what I've said three times. And then when you escalate, there's a lot of frustration. So as you were describing this situation, I totally got it. The best I could tell, free room nights are not eligible for any of the benefits of their T's and C's. You're not paying for it. And so that was what I think was the issue. I don't know why they couldn't say that specifically. Maybe they didn't understand that specific issue, but that's the best I could tell. You're right. The T's and C's were very unclear. Again, it gets back to there really is a lot better information coming from airlines, even though the T's and C's and the contracts of carriage are often very convoluted. You can still get to the gist of the matter, but I will give this a fine just because it was so frustrating. They couldn't answer your questions, but at the bottom line level of this, I think it's because it's a reward night room that is not eligible for what a paying customer would normally get. I think you nailed this one, Chris. I would give it a fine as well. And customers sometimes gristle when you say, well, it's in the contract of carriage, but that contract which I always believe is the contract that everyone in the U.S. would sign without ever reading it, (laughs) right? (laughs) is really important because it really does lay those T's and C's out. Well, my shout-out this week, Chris, goes to four low-cost or lower-cost carriers, Southwest, Alaska, JetBlue, and Spirit, all of whom announced this last week that they're trimming their summer schedule somewhat. You referenced this a little earlier in the show, but they're not trimming it because they're not bullish about the demand. In fact, just the opposite. They're trimming it because they're saying we want to make sure that we don't have to cancel a lot of flights. And that pragmatic view is something I wish the rest of the industry would also take. These are four airlines that are getting ahead of it and saying, we're not going to fly quite as much and we're probably going to leave some money on the table in the sense that we're not going to fly some flights that would probably be quite full. But that's a small cost compared to running a really good summer for customers. So I actually hope the whole industry thinks about this way. And I appreciate these four carriers taking that leadership. Yeah, good shout out. And I'm not sure they're leaving money on the table. If they can't deliver the service, 
they're going to be spending a lot more money with, with unhappy passengers and disruptive uh, kinds of situations at airports. So it, that's a smart decision. My shout out goes to the still unidentified baggage handler for Southwest Airlines in Oklahoma City. If you haven't seen it, check out the video circulating on YouTube and Instagram of him taking a break from loading bags, or I think he was finished loading the bags. And he caught the eye of a young boy sitting looking out the window and he started playing rock, paper, scissors with the young man uh, during the boarding process. It's really a great moment in the midst of so much chaos in the world right now to watch these two guys connect. Well, and that young boy is going to be a fan of airlines and especially Southwest, I think, because of that. Yep. Well, thanks again to Unify for coming on and have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. This podcast is produced by Mass Media. Info at massmedia.net.